0: Those levels of awareness that come through reading history help you as you conceptualize what you're going to do currently and what you might do in the future.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Operational Arch, the official podcast of the School of Advanced Military Studies, dedicated to bridging the gap between tactics and strategy through the study of operational art, and the Operational Level of War. I'm Major Dan Warner, here alongside Majors Kelsey Kurtz and Josh Bedingfield will be your host today. Today's guest is a US Army Command and General Staff College Ike Skelton Distinguished Chair for the Art of War and Director of the Art of War Scholars Program, Dr. Dean Nowitzki. Dr. Now is an alumni of the United States Military Academy at West Point and served as an armor officer for over 30 years, retiring as a colonel in 2009. He is a 1995 graduate of SAMS a 2001 graduate of the U.S. Army War College, holds a Ph.D. in history from Princeton, and is the author of Success Against the Odds, The American Army in Germany, 1918 and 1923. Sir, welcome to the Operational Arch. We're going to talk today about why history plays such essential roles in educating and building operational artists. History is one of the three pillars of SAMHSA's curriculum, the others being doctrine and theory. The United States Army's relationship with history is an odd one. We laud historical-minded leaders like Patton and Mattis while institutionally investing little time and resources in developing historically-minded leaders. Sir, you're the director of the Art of War Scholars Program at CGSC. Would you mind starting off by explaining to the audience what the Art of War Scholars Program is?
0: With permission, I will read from our information paper for conciseness. CGSC's Art of War Scholars Program offers a small number of competitively selected officers an opportunity to participate in intensive graduate level seminars and in-depth personal research focused primarily on understanding strategy and operational art through the lens of modern military history. The purpose of the program is to produce officers with highly developed critical thinking and communication skills and an advanced understanding of the art of warfighting. These abilities will be further honed by reading, researching, thinking, debating, and writing about complex issues across the full spectrum of modern warfare, from the lessons of the Russo-Japanese War through operations in the joint contemporary environment, while beginning to understand the 21st century evolution of the art of war, A significant distinguishing characteristic of the program is the production of a scholarly master's thesis that contributes to the body of professional knowledge.
2: So would you say, sir, that the Art of War Scholars Program is among CGSC's, if not CGSC's, preeminent function or organization for the study of history in regards to its return on developing an operational artist?
0: Well, I'm obviously prejudiced about the answer to that question. Uh, I would have to give due deference to the expertise of the faculty and the curriculum in the Department of Military History in CGSS. I would have to give deference to the study of history in the Advanced Military Studies Program and the other programs at the School of Advanced Military Studies. Uh, but The Artaway Scholars Program, as a command and general staff college program, meets a need for that intensive study of history, and and I think it it answers that call. Uh, I think it's very challenging. I think it's very rewarding.
2: It leads us into the episode, well, as kind of our first cornerstone episode of the three pillars of SAMS's curricula, Um, and AMSP particularly to focus on doctrine, history, and theory. And how it informs a practitioner. So, your expertise is a good venue for us to explore the specific function and role of history in building a, a competent operational artist.
1: Yeah, with that, we'll start with the stock question that everybody gets. It's my favorite question. And it's uh, in your words, can you describe for the audience your definition or theory of operational art?
0: So, I will give a concise definition. To me, operational art is the orchestration of battles and operational logistics to achieve campaign objectives. Short to the point, but I think that definition contains the key elements. I may differ from others in including logistics in my definition, but I think an understanding of operational logistics is what distinguishes a novice and an expert in operational art.
3: So that's a really interesting take, and I'm sure that the logisticians out there are giving you fist bumps. Uh, Russell Wigley dis- famously described the American way of war as ahistoric. Do you think this extends to the U.S. Army and how it approaches war fighting?
0: I used to answer this question by saying, yes, the Army is ahistoric. But the, with the resources invested by the Army in history through its own service history program. Department of Military History at CGSS, the Center for Military History, the many historical works and staff rides at the Army University Press, the Department of History at the United States Military Academy, the United States Army Heritage and Education Center at Carlisle, the New Museum of the United States Army at Fort Belvoir and the historical resources available to commands at each post through Army museums and unit historians, as well as the resources dedicated to the CGSC Art of War Scholars Program. I don't say that anymore. It's now a matter of synchronizing those efforts into a more effective enterprise.
3: sir, so, and where do you think that synchronization falls short?
0: I think that there should be an agency... In charge of the whole historic enterprise of the Army. It probably should be the uh, Center for Military History. Uh, in the old days, the Center for Military History was led by an active duty brigadier general. Now that post has been civilianized. Uh, I think that instead of having all these discrete elements, there ought to be a person in charge, probably with a staff. And you know one budget, and that that person leads the integration of all that. Right now, it's just discrete parts. There's a lot of resources dedicated to it, but it could be more effectively synergized. I think, you know, from cradle to grave for uh, soldiers and for officers, with all those resources. Uh, a lot. Of, there's a lot of bright spots in that, you know, constellation of. Institutions that I mentioned, uh, one of them being the Department of Military History here at Commander General Staff School, um, we could probably do a better job of, of making it a coherent approach. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, you know, I'll—I've already written publicly about this, and,
2: and, and I'll, I'll bridge it to one of the Art of War Scholar, uh, you know, in- entry mechanisms is an essay. If I remember the prompt correctly. It's you know why. How does history inform an understanding in one degree or another of war fighting? You know, what is the role of history? And so we're talking about it from an enterprise level right now, an organizational application or, or understanding of history. But at the user level, you know, there's a there's a function that history provides in an operational artist. There's a tool that history becomes that helps an operational artist understand complex problems, generate options for their military command. So um, amongst the dozens of options available to uh, the, the educators of operational art, you among them, um, and then our instructors over at Sam's among them as well, history is one of them, one of the three. So why is history, in your, your perspective and your experience, an essential tool for the operational artist?
0: Because the study of history does for the operational artist's mind. It offers the operational artist facts and patterns to form a deeper awareness of the art of warfighting. It develops critical thinking and other essential characteristics for the artist, such as the ability to communicate concisely both in writing and in speech. So a lot of the definition that I read at the start about the Art of War Scholars Program is focused for why are we studying history? What good does it do if we're gonna try to develop a deeper understanding of the art of war fighting? They're tied, but it's all in the mind. It's the improvement of the officer's operational artist's mind.
2: Yeah, I I always come back to kind of that, that introduction that Dan provided us about how we we do a institutionally really good job of collectively lauding historically-minded officers. You know, if we, if we list the top components of some of the greatest military leaders in, in the U.S. Army's history, we we love us a, a leader who knew his history or knew her history, right? Patton's among them. Mattis is among them. Um, I'm sure that you could list 12 or more because you're so incredibly historically-minded yourself. But we do such a good job of saying, like, this is what good leadership looks like, and look at this decision that this leader made that was informed by their deep understanding of history. But would you maybe have an opinion on whether or not that, that gap that the enterprise has in informing the individual, being that while we allowed it, we don't necessarily provide tools in either our doctrinal or institutional education education mechanisms to encourage officers to become historically minded themselves?
0: I think that the gap is in individual choice of the officer. Um, you know, the popular courses here, the courses that officers in the Command General Staff School enjoy, are the history courses and leadership courses. Uh, there's no Really, gap of enthusiasm or engagement in studying history when you're in CGSS, the, and, and I know that the Army War College, as within the last couple three years, increased the emphasis on developing the historical mind and being historically minded. That comes from the Provost of the Army War College. I'm not so sure that it's a problem of the institutions and the and the PME, the formal PME. I think that the gap is in what happens to officers after they leave and when they're in serving units, and their own individual study. And if you look at the the pillars of professional development, the one that I think lacks is the individual development that has to occur over a period of years when you're very busy and you're committed. You're raising your family. If you're trying to be a successful officer in the units. Uh, you're devoting your best efforts, you know, to your to your soldiers, to your family. Where's the time? You have to be pretty intentional about it. And so, I think that that is where we can make up a lot of ground in being historically minded.
1: Yeah, I guess for my own foxhole, it almost seems there's like this desire. If if you make that time, those people who make that time. Do it uh, because it's a passion or they truly believe it makes them better, finances it makes them better. So it's not until maybe later in the career when their operational cognition is awakened that they can see how useful that history is for them. But like for my example, what it did, you know, the first time, uh, first, second time I was in the Army South uh, G2 office, he made a comment about a Bren gun. Nobody knew what he was talking about. And I immediately was able to talk to him about, like, some random operation in World War II, and we had this common language between me and somebody who outranked me by, you know, 15 years, who's never known me to any other captain, but we had this, like, common professional language. And I'm not saying that, like, elevated my career, but it was like, oh, Dan's obviously on board, right? Like, Dan has cared about the institution because he studied the history of it. And then we get the SAMs, and it seems like um, people who didn't study history who are in SAMs or who are trying to learn about the operational level of war are, like, at a disadvantage because they didn't think Napoleonic history was interesting. So they're looking at Napoleon and trying to glean lessons, and they don't know the difference between, like, Leipzig and Auschwitz, right? So it's, um yeah, it's, like, too late when it becomes important for you to know. At least that's how I... I kind of encourage. Dan's not saying it out loud right now, but Dan's the biggest Napoleon nerd in I'm the I'm not the, no, they're, they're, okay, in the class maybe,
2: in, in our small class. In our, in our seminar and the whole of Sam's That is a class. wide pond. That is a
1: very dangerous <laughs> pawn. There are very smart people out there who are better at Napoleonic history than I. Uh, so, with that, sir, how, uh, the relationship between theory and doctrine and history, uh, how does that help the operational artist when your operational cognition has awakened and you're trying to use theory and doctrine?
0: Some people depict the relationship between the three, history, theory, and doctrine, as a trinity, like Clausewitz's trinity. Some stratify the three to describe how history leads to theory and doctrine. I'm probably more comfortable with a trinity that describes a more fluid relationship. I agree that they are pillars of operational art and each is essential. Theory and doctrine, as essential to the operational artist, just like history is.
3: So, so we were kind of speaking to one another uh, before the podcast, just getting to, to know each other a little bit better. And you asked where we were at, in SAMS currently. And at the recording of this episode, we're at the very end of our design and systems thinking. And what you've talked about with Dan and and Josh here really brought me to our discussion in design and systems thinking in the class on on narrative and having it be the principal way in which our species, you know, humans organize our understanding of of time, and that these events create the order of the time. So studying history helps us glean lessons from the past. Of course, it always has the voice of a narrative through there, how we organize our thoughts. Uh, do you see it also informing planning, current, or future operations? So the real question is, how does an operational artist operationalize history?
0: I think history does inform present and future operations. History doesn't repeat itself, but It rhymes. There are patterns in history that an operational artist can use to aid in planning and campaign design. By a deep knowledge of the past, the operational artist is better prepared for current planning and future evolution of the operational art, and it's all in those patterns which you get from deeper historical reading. So that's
3: great, and that ties so much into what design and systems is about in determining the, the reaction, the response, and the action of this different systems within the operational environment. So thank you for providing us that context as to how history can assist an
2: operational artist. Yeah. I, I think it's a good question to maybe spend a little bit of extra time on kind of just this concept of if we, if we talk about kind of what Dan brought up earlier about how, and, and what you brought up, sir, about how there's an individual choice in how an officer or an NCO even or soldier dives into history And seize an opportunity for that endeavor to provide a return on their, on their professional development. You know, that, that choice comes at the cost of reading a book on leadership or reading a book on reading doctrine or reading your, your post command policies and understanding how your command, uh, expects for the unit to operate. So there's always a trade off in it. And, you know, the easiest, I would argue, maybe the easiest way to say that it's, our return is to understand the past, right? So you can't predict the future, but if we understand the past, we will be able to prevent some, some, some future mistakes or the replication of future mistakes. But what we're really always focused on is the future, right? The army is always looking ahead and this concept of operationalizing history, finding a way to provide us a return in the ops cell or in the co-ops cell. I'm just curious if you have, you know, an anecdote or a way to frame an option for an officer who's asking themselves the question, how does this help me looking at the present state or the future state?
0: By reading history, you're better, you have a deeper understanding of context. So it might be a cultural context. It might be a chronological, technological context. might be geographic. But those levels of awareness that come through Reading history help you as you conceptualize what you're going to do currently and what you might do in the future. Um, it, it's patterns and recognition. It's looking for similarities. It's a mind that's capable of thinking of different options, thinking critically, uh, and seeing things that you wouldn't otherwise see if you didn't have that awareness. If you unpack
2: MDMP, military decision making process, or the joint planning process or even some international praying processes like the ones we use with our NATO partners or um, elsewhere throughout the world. In my experience, and I'm I'm happy if anybody in the audience can kind of write us in and tell me I'm wrong, or I hope you can tell me I'm wrong. But if you look through the regulations on there, history's in all of them. They all acknowledge like, Hey, history plays a, plays a role in this process, but it doesn't necessarily include a step on how to account for it. Right? So if you look at, you know, mission analysis, there's a we ought to look at the variable of time. History plays a role in there, but it's not prescriptive and it's not necessarily even proscriptive. So if we're in a planning process and you are a historically minded officer, how are you integrating history into that planning process in a productive way without dragging that planning process into just looking at the past for an answer?
0: I think the study of history is part of the planner's preparation to begin each planning process. It's part of the equipping of the officer to be prepared, to be ready. The more you study, the better prepared you are. I also think that history contributes to the initial steps of understanding your operational environment. We all know the stories of operations which demonstrated a geographical or cultural ignorance which could have been prevented by a deeper historic awareness. I remember having Lawrence in my rucksack for the Gulf War. And the many officers who studied British or Soviet operations in Afghanistan before deploying, that was on the right track.
2: Yeah, I'll go back to one of the seminars we had last year with Les Grau. One of the speakers we had that I was like flubbergasted that we had an opportunity to talk with. Because I had Les Grau in my rucksack in Afghanistan. Same here. Same? Yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody had Les Grau, right? The bear went over the mountains. Like we, we all read it. we in the seminar last year and Les Grau said that that book got published a little, little ways before Afghanistan. So Les Grau being one of the preeminent, you know, that worked, worked, worked in, in Russia, had a deep cultural understanding of the Russian military and political industrial complex and how it informs our understanding of potential future states for the U.S. Army. And, Correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he couldn't get it published. And so when September eleventh kicked off, and all of a sudden the army is super interested in the history of military operations in Afghanistan. So the question inherent in that, I kinda kinda trying to parcel together some of the things that you said is history's big. We can look at Napoleon, we can look at Operation Bagration, we can look at Operation Torch, Operation Desert Storm. At this point, not to not to age anybody who participated directly in, in Desert Storm, but it's it's minor minor league historic at this point, possibly. We had an opportunity to to have a deeper understanding and width of Afghanistan, but an event catalyzed an interest. I don't know if that's necessarily a question or if it's just a thought, but how how the current state informs what we look at in the past.
3: I think it brings up a really interesting thread. I'm going back to our time in the Great Power Competition and talking about cultural empathy through the eyes of history. So not always kind of defaulting to an American-centric or Western-centric view of history. And our, our discussing, discussion with Grau and Bear Goes Over the Mountain in Afghanistan, I think brings up a really valid point that it's important to expand our perspective. Um, if we think of history as you know a pretty steep hill to climb on, Gaddis tells us to look at different mountains in order to change our perspective and make sure that we're not just climbing kind of the same American-centric mountain to continue that really bad analogy.
1: It always seems like uh, history is really important when you're doing the road to war to a conflict. And maybe it's because of my second profession as an intel officer. You know, I felt the responsibility of having to do that. But, like, 25th ID, when they got pulled off Afghanistan and we started looking at Korea, look how we're going to do the road to war. And not a lot of people can tell you anything that happened in Korea. And only by luck was, like, there was a couple of us who were there as young lieutenants. And we put the road to war together to frame, like, the history of the conflict that we were now, like, focused on. And it, like I said earlier, like, in this podcast, it's like, uh, you study history because it's, like, fun for you. And eventually you find use for it almost. If you're looking use for history, it's almost already too late to develop to have that like uh, intimate understanding of the knowledge you're looking for. Does that mirror and maybe your experience walking into the Gulf? Uh,
0: it it kind of does because you know I talked about having Lawrence in the rucksack when, when we read it. I don't, I'm not sure we really saw all the connections because we didn't have the deeper long-term developmental understanding of, of where he fit. So I would, I wouldn't be inclined to agree that, you know, the emergency use of history to prepare for a road to war, a planning process, uh, you miss the developmental aspects, the deeper understanding aspects, the contextual aspects of a longer study of history. I do think that, um, when you have a contingency or you're called on, it's pretty easy to see the right books that you might need to read. I've never really watched and felt like people put the wrong ones off the shelf. Um, But being ready to use them is a different matter.
3: So the study of history can be a really interesting challenge. Um, We've talked a little bit about competing efforts in terms of self-development as well as professional development. How would you encourage a leader who wants to use history to professionally develop themselves or their organizations go about the tasks, maybe any TTPs you found successful.
0: Don't study history that is boring. (laughs) Read what appeals to you and break it it up into bite-sized pieces. Better to read a paragraph or chapter at a time than let the book sit on the shelf because you're waiting for the right hours to read it all. Better to read historical fiction than nothing at all. Better to read relevant history to the population than some ancient tome that holds no interest. Same thing for professional development programs and units which designed to use history. Be practical. Better to read a chapter at a time and drink some beer than to assign the whole book to young officers and sergeants who don't have the time or inclination to digest it. Take it a piece at a time and read something that's interesting.
1: I guess full confession. Probably most of my history knowledge that I have—not saying it's a lot—is either because there was a movie about it that I was interested in, or I was wargaming in that period, and the game was a vessel for me to be interested in the intricacies of history. And what what broke the barrier of like Napoleonic history, which is very uh, daunting, right? When you look at it, and there's an age gap between people who are really good at it and people who don't really know it, are the like the Richard Sharp novels, right? And they're not a historical document, but they get you in the right mindset. And then all of a sudden his that part of history becomes a story. And you could see yourself in that story because you read a story about it. And then it just it just like flows after that. So that's that's very sage advice there, sir, to you don't have to just read textbooks or historical books, right? You could read circle nonfiction.
3: Yeah, so you brought up an interesting comment that makes me realize I think there's a obvious question that we haven't asked you. Um, and Dan kind of pulled on it about this story. You made a, a comment about um, you know, reading what appeals to you and not necessarily ancient history. Um, U.S. Army professional military education has a trend of using ancient history to talk about current events in a way that encourages discussion and an environment that kind of feels safe. So what immediately popped to mind is using the Peloponnesian War as a way to discuss America's failure in, in Vietnam. The Army's recently gone through... Um, you know, at a time of troubles with the end of Afghanistan, the invasion in Ukraine that a lot of our members are personally invested in. How do you see us kind of using ancient history or more modern history to discuss these events that we may not be comfortable doing so yet in a professional environment?
0: Well, sometimes you can use history that holds patterns that are, are pertinent to the present to talk about things that you're not ready to talk about yet. That's basically what you said. I think people use a lot of Vietnam history to try to comprehend what was going on in Afghanistan with the withdrawal. Two different circumstances, but pe- people could see the patterns. It may be easier to talk about you know, 19th century irregular warfare or counterinsurgency operations than it is to talk about the 20-year experience in Afghanistan. It's an entry point to try to to develop a deeper understanding of experience. So, you know, I have to say that there's a reason why in the War Scholars Program we study modern military history. It's probably to confine the focus, but it also is because I think there might be easier to comprehend patterns at a more recent experience. We don't go back a lot to ancient history other than to talk about some of the you know, the theorists and to, and to talk about Thucydides and the Peloponnesian War, but most of our focus starts with the Russo-Japanese War in the 20th century. Awesome history. Audience should read more about the Russo-Japanese War
2: and ask questions about why World War I happened the way that it happened, given the fact that we had advisors in the Russo-Japanese War.
3: That was probably one of my favorite readings in our Reflections of Warfare. Yeah, just
2: thus far. crazy. Absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, I mean, I was in Art of War last year, sir, and now I'm in Sam's. And I noticed a trend in how we read in both, in both platforms kind of in relation to maybe how it was in Common Core and CGSC. So you go and you pick up like eight eight or 12 books from the library, you know, your token uh, Art of War, and, and you kind of get into them. A little bit, but it's really more about kind of articles and then kind of white papers to discuss a lot of other venues of historical analysis and in, in like H100 block at CGSC. And then contrast that with everybody knows that Sam's is, you know, your book a day club. But what people don't know is that Art of War is also a book of day club. But it's not it's kind of a bad moniker because you're not reading the whole book. You're reading, you know, chapter seven and eight that frames the discussion for the day. And kind of leaves the option for the officer to go back and peel, peel that back more if it, if it interests them. And I had never really spent any time thinking about that until you said what you just said and where there's return on that. Because that's what I did. I, I, there's like four or five books that I can think of that I read a chapter in Art of War. And then, you know, in that month between, between, uh, CGSC and starting Sam's, I was like, I need to go finish that book. And I know, Dan, you've got one from Sam's that you're all over. Uh, maybe more because of YouTube than it was the actual reading, but... A little
1: bit of both, yeah.
2: I'm jumping on your train. I'm latching myself to your lead train, sir. I think that reading that chapter a day, that's that's excellent advice. That's a very good way to put it.
3: Especially if you're designing the curriculum for future science programs.
2: Or writing your unit's leader development program, right? Or NCODP or ODP.
3: Stretch, what I think you're saying is that once an eagle should be forever stricken from leader development programs. I'm going to, I'm going to paint
2: myself into a corner and say that I've never read once an eagle because I was reading Russian history. Cause I'm a nerd like that. And that's where I like to, what I like to read,
1: but I like to read it. So I enjoy it, well, it. It brings up an interesting idea that your leadership development program could be a book that you can lean on and you introduce it as just, we're going to read chapter seven through nine and have this discreet discussion. And then from there, you could take off the cues of, of the officers, NCOs in the room to see what further would interest them to keep to keep them, right? What, what would hook them on? And I, that's not something that I've experienced in LPDs, right? You usually read the whole thing. But, yeah, it's a very interesting thought. And then, sir, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. Kind of a hot topic in SAMS right now. Uh, there's talk of the operational level of war potentially not existing in antiquity. I would point to the campaigns of Julius Caesar and Gaul and just Fabian Maximus and, you know, how he defeated Hannibal as operational level of war thought. I just wanted your opinion. And judging by your definition, I think you can say there are some instances where operational of war existed in antiquity, but I don't want to put words in your mouth there.
0: I think we can look back in history, ancient history, and see times where battles and logistics were orchestrated to a campaign objective. You see that in Roman history. You probably see that with Alexander the Great, others. I'm not sure that they would have been aware that they were doing it. Um, they wouldn't have written about it that way, but it existed. Uh, and by studying that, you just get a better understanding for the present. Is there an F1? Hot take question followed by a
2: hot take, that one can do something without knowing one is doing something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very revisionist of us.
1: Yeah. Sir, thank you for your time. Uh, Do you have any uh, closing words for the audience?
0: Be intentional about designing and executing professional development programs in units which show the commander's interest, intent, and imprint. Don't let the time requirements take away the chance to make your officers and sergeants better. Take pride in professional development that is real and that is engaging.
1: Thank you for that. Uh, What can the audience expect from you next, and uh, where's the best place for us to follow your current work?
0: I would simply invite the audience to consider my recently published book on the American Army in Germany after World War I from the University Press of Kansas. I think it tells a story about Army achievement that few people realize. Shows effective leadership of officers in the whole of government and is a lesson that we still need to learn how to conduct stability operations in military government. The cheapest way to get the book is directly from the University Press of Kansas. They run frequent discounts of 30% or more, which makes the book affordable. Otherwise, it's not. <laughs> so, uh, the book is part of the modern war studies theory. Series at the University Press of Kansas. I read that series when I was a major, and I'm proud to be part of it.
3: Congratulations!
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you, sir. Best of luck with your current cohort of Art of
2: War Scholars. I'm certain that they will not live up to the hype that was <laughs> last year's cohort.
0: We'll see if they have their picture on the front of the board like you do, Josh.
2: All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir. We really appreciate it.
0: Very well.
2: This has been an official publication of the School of Advanced Military Studies. The views and expressions heard here are those of the authors and do not reflect the official position or opinions of SAMS, the U.S. Army, or the U.S. Government. Stay up to date on all things SAMS and the Operational Arch by following us on Twitter at U.S. underscore SAMS. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to or follow the podcast. Additionally, if you have recommendations for an episode, send any proposals to operationalarch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.